Uh, just a little add-on with regard to our uh, prophetic conference. There was a, a little fee that was attached to the daytime sessions. Uh, if you do want to come, if you can book off the time uh, and you can't afford it, please do not feel hesitant. Uh, we will subsidize it. And uh, the main thing is we want you to receive the teaching. And uh, really the fees don't cover the expenses of bringing in this whole team. It doesn't even come close. So it's really just nominal. And on Saturday, we have all-day teachings. And if you don't make Thursday or Friday, come Saturday and just receive it. We position the teachings thinking that more people will be available on Saturday. So that day is almost like a standalone module. So we really uh, would encourage you to come on out. It's about how we can move in God, uh, in the marketplace, fulfill the Great Commission. So it's going to be a, a real exciting time. But nothing is more exciting than the resurrection of Jesus. And um, we timed our series from the book of Matthew to end right as Jesus resurrects. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 26 or turn on your cell phones and look with me there. We've been working way, our way through the last week of Jesus' life. A quarter of the book just chronicles Jesus' last week. And in particular this morning, I'm going to be looking at Jesus in Gethsemane. And uh, as you find your place there in the Bible... I've entitled my message, The Salve of Heaven, the thing that saved Jesus so that he could save us. So here's what the scripture says. Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that is James and John, and began to be grieved and distressed. He said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. He went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping and said to Peter, so you men could not watch with me for one hour. Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation for the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, thy will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. He left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to his disciples and says, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? Behold, the hour is at hand, and this Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Arise, let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. And then one other verse I want to tie in here comes from Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus speaks at the Sermon on the Mount. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So God, we look to you this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for enveloping us with your love. And may you now, God, envelop us with your truth. May you speak to our hearts. May you just... Take the word, God, and cause it to be a salve the way it was for Jesus. We thank you now in your name. Amen. So in this passage, Jesus is going through the darkest moment of his life before he dies. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, wrestling with the fact he has to go to the cross and be sacrificed for the sins of the world. We will never understand nor comprehend the immensity and the enormity of the task. To die for every sin that's ever been committed past, present, and future, for every person that has ever lived, past, present, and future. People who keep track, 
of world population says that since the beginning of time till now, there's been about 100 billion people that have lived on the face of the earth. So to be the sacrifice for all of humanity and the thousands upon thousands of transgressions and sins just for one life, multiplied by 100 billion people, it's unimaginable what Jesus had to face. That's why the Bible says that Jesus sweated blood. Now, it's not in the text that we read, but in the Gospel of Luke, that companion passage, in chapter 22, it says that Jesus, when he was praying, he sweat blood. Now, there are many places in the Bible where it says that Jesus prayed. He slipped away into the wilderness. He went to a lonely place to seek God. He retreated to the mountainside. But this is the only place where it says that when he prayed, he sweat blood. Unless we think that this is just a metaphor, there is literally a medical condition called hematidrosis, where a person comes under such intensity that the corpuscles in the skin burst and blood comes through the pores. This tells us in part what Jesus was going through and why he said, I'm grieving to the point of death. This moment was so crushing, and it's the first time in Jesus' life we see him wavering in his faith. Right? We've taken these months now to just see the Son of Man at work, His love, His passion, His compassion, His miracle working power, being able to stand up with fierceness to the onslaught of the Pharisees and Sadducees, people wanting to destroy Him and kill Him. He never wavered until this moment. There is this moment of wrestling. He doesn't want to go to the cross. And where did Jesus get the strength to push through? How did He cope? The Bible tells us that it was prayer that saved Jesus so that he could save us. It says he was face down seeking God. I think that this is a little lesson for us and a reminder how powerful prayer is and how we have this at our disposal. In our walk with God, we don't make enough use of it. We say these little one-second prayers, help me, God. We read the Bible for maybe a minute before we swallow a donut and coffee. But there's not an intensity, there's not a capitalizing on this kingdom platform that God has given to us. And yet this was the very thing that caused Jesus to push through. That's how powerful prayer is. When we are going through our own Garden of Gethsemane, we need to rely on prayer the way that Jesus did. But this was not just any kind of prayer. It was lamenting prayer that saved Jesus. Now, of course, when I say save Jesus, I'm not talking about being saved from his sins. I'm saying being dissuaded from the task at hand and saying, oh, no, I'm going to back away. I'm not going to do this. No, it was lamenting prayer that allowed him to gain the strength that he needed to complete the task that God had given him. So let's talk for a moment just about this passage I put up here in Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I've always wondered why mourning is the second most important beatitude. Why did Jesus place it in such an important place? I can understand why poorness of spirit or humility is the number one way to experience God, but why is mourning in position number two? It's always puzzled me. It seems like such a sad thing to say that mourning is that important. Well, it turns out that my puzzlement over these last 40 years was related to my age. I hadn't lived long enough to realize that the difficulties of life, the ups and downs of life, the disappointments of life can batter us. Instead of a dreamy Disneyland enchanted place, life can provide a lot of heartache. And that God values mourning 
is a powerful commentary on how our tear-filled, mistake-filled, regret-filled, heartbroken times is actually a gateway to God. Rather than turning away from our condition, our difficulties, and our sin, where he would say, you know, (laughs) that's just too messy. I want to deal with you. I don't want to deal with humanity. God instead embraces our messiness. He doesn't tell us to come up to him. Rather, he comes to sit down with us. He doesn't let our mistakes get in the way of his love. He comes to comfort us in our mourning. The Bible is replete with verses about God coming to comfort us. Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 138, the Lord is exalted, yet he regards the lowly. Psalm 120, I called on the Lord in my distress and he answered me. Job 5.11, those who mourn are lifted to safety. When Jesus quoted Isaiah 61, when he stood up in the synagogue there in Nazareth, said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. The anointing is upon me. To do what? To proclaim the good news. To set the prisoners free. To cause the blind to see. The oppressed to be free. That anointing was to bring us to a place of freedom. Was to bring us to a place of comfort. And if mourning is in fact a gateway to God, then we have great hope because we have mourning in spades. That means the kingdom is much closer than we realize. It's right here in our midst. We battle cancer. We've lost a child. We can't conceive a child. We've had a bad marriage. We've divorced. We've been abused. We've been betrayed. People seem to reject me. I don't like myself. Why is life so difficult? In our confusion and pain, the kingdom is near. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now let's go back to the Gethsemane scene. Another word for mourning is lament. And as I was doing my research for this message, I came across this book that was recently published by Pastor Mark Rogoff in the United States. This is the cover of that book. I recommend it to you. I feel like this book is so timely that I want our church to really go deep into this subject in the fall. We're thinking about introducing this book and studying this book during our 40-day campaign. But for now, I'm going to utilize some of the key thoughts in my message from this book. So what is lament? Lament is a form of prayer that talks to God about our pain. It's a way to discharge the agony and emotions of our soul when we're going through difficult times. Jesus was so distraught, his prayer went into minor key. He had to pour out his heart before the Lord. He had to share with the Father how this was too hard for him. He couldn't go on. In fact, he wanted this moment to go away. He was lamenting. That Jesus went to God with lamenting prayer is what theologians call the category of complaint. Really, category of complaint. I thought we're not supposed to complain. This is using the word in a different way. There's a space that God creates for us to to bring the complaining of our soul. And that God communed with Jesus in this place tells us something powerful about the nature and character of God that it should shatter any wrong notions that we have about Him. Christianity is not about us coming to God as a nice, tidy package all wrapped up in a bow. That's called works. Instead, we are saved by humility. We can come as a wreck to God. Lament is about God's sympathy and mercy and kindness. Lament is about an understanding God. 
Lament is about a God that listens, about a God that comforts. He doesn't push us away. Rather, he pulls us in to hold us. And as we look at this passage about Jesus, there are four things I want to point out about lament. The first is that lament is a framework for our feelings. Lament is permission to pour out our feelings. Feelings of despair and rage and anger and hatred, revenge and jealousy and rejection. We we don't talk about these things in church because we want a sanitized environment. We want a clean environment. So don't come in with those kind of feelings. But that's the very opposite of the environment that Jesus was creating. You're supposed to come with that. When Adam and Eve sinned and they were hiding from God in the garden, that's what we do. I don't want to go to church. I don't want to go to small group. I don't want to read the Bible. I don't want to hear Christian music. I want to hide from God. But the scripture says God went after Adam. But what did he find in Adam and Eve, the condition there? They had fig leaves on. That's a picture of our own works. Cutting down trees and cutting and using our own effort to cover up. That's which we can't really cover up. God doesn't want a sanitized environment. He wants us to bring it to him so that he can be involved in the redemption and the cleanup. God is not afraid of any of your emotions. Even the most violent ones. Even the times where you feel like swearing. There's a category of Psalms called imprecation. Kind of a big word. It means to call down curses on your enemy. What? Christians are calling down curses on people? No, that's not what we're preaching. But David had moments where he was so exercised in his soul, he would call down curses. He would literally say, let those people go to hell. I don't care about them. He would say, you know that person that's persecuting me? Let the creditors come and take everything they've got. Just let him go bankrupt. He was exercising his soul. He was lamenting. And lament is that framework for our feelings. It's about opening up the heart and telling God what's really happening inside of us. So many Christians think, because I feel this way, I shouldn't talk to God about it. Which is to say, many Christians don't have a category for complaint. Oh yeah, we complain, but we don't think about complaining to God in that sense. Because we, wouldn't, we shouldn't do that. So they don't have a safe place, but lament is that safe place. Let me go back to this for a second. Talk about just the strength of our emotions. You know, grief is not tame. There are 65 psalms that are about lament. How many people know how many total psalms there are? Bible trivia, Bible literacy question. 150. Saved you. 65 out of 150 of the Psalms are about lament, over one-third. As a juxtaposition, there's a worship organization called CCLI. They catalog the number of times Christian songs have been sent. Of the top 150 songs that have been sung across North America, you know how many songs are about lament? Zero. That tells you how unfamiliar we are as a culture with lament. In fact, understanding and learning to lament is the key, a key to maturity and healing. Lament is a language for loss. Lament is the prayer language for hurting Christians. And Psalms and many other places gives us the therapy we need because it helps us to articulate our suffering. The Jews have suffered like no other people on earth. 
There's no one that comes close. And there's a lot of people that are suffering in the earth today. But you pan back and you look at the breadth of history and you see what the Jews have gone through, no one compares. They know pain. As a result, they know lament. So much so that God has put their experience and their words into print for us so that we can be comforted and find the right words for our sorrow. So we know that we are not alone. You know, this is where Peter, James, and John failed Jesus. Jesus was asking them, just just be with me. Part of helping those who are lamenting is to just sit with them. Be one that listens with mercy. No solutions are necessary. Just cry and sit beside them. The author of this book shares his story. He says, when occasionally I candidly share a few struggles of my soul, some people react with visible discomfort. Others quickly move to a desperate desire to find the bright side. A quick change of subject, an awkward silence, and even physically excusing themselves to escape the tension. That word there is so apropos, tension. When we're in Gethsemane and we're lamenting, there is so much tension. The atmosphere is fraught with our emotional tension. And we want resolution, but sometimes resolution doesn't come. And we're just tight as a rope, and it just stays that way for a season. He goes on to say, when people stayed in the conversation, they often responded in unhelpful ways. In moments of trying to comfort, people said things like, I'm sure the Lord will give you another baby Maybe more people will come to faith because of the death of your daughter. Or the Lord must know he can trust you with this. Every person meant well. I appreciated their attempts to address our pain. But it became clear that most people did not know how to join us in our grief. Lament was not familiar terrain. Peter, James, and John fell asleep on Jesus in his most crucial time in part because of the weight of the situation, in part because it was around midnight and they were tired. But I think also they fell asleep because they did not know what to do with Jesus' emotions. How are we supposed to help Jesus? You're not. That's not the point. Jesus didn't ask them to comment or to give advice or to help him. He just wanted them to sit. Laments a framework for our feelings and also a framework for how we sit with others in their feelings. Lament is also iterative. Three times Jesus went to the Father. Verses 39, 42, and 44 of chapter 26. Three times he asked if the cup could pass from him. Lamenting is a process. It takes time to work through things. And as we're working through our feelings, our lament may not even be objective or rational. That's not the important part in the beginnings of lament. The beginnings of lament is just to express the ache of our heart, whether it makes sense or not. Just dump your marbles onto the table, and who cares if they all fall to the ground? We need to empty our bowels. That in itself is healing. Lament creates self-awareness so that we can understand and pinpoint our emotional center. Have you heard people say, I'm just all over the place because I can't find where my center is. I'm like a boneless chicken. I'm just flailed out there. And we're trying to stick bones into people so they can have some structure, but it's not going to work. They're just flailed out. They don't know where the emotional center is. This is part of what recovery sessions do and why group therapy is so important. 
When you hear people share, they articulate what you're feeling. They put words to the things that you have felt, and that becomes part of your healing. You hear someone go, that's it. That's how I feel. What you said is what I'm experiencing. And in their articulation, you get clarity. And when you get clarity, you get edification. I get me now. I didn't get me before. Yeah, you're right. None of us get you. I don't get me, but I get now what I'm going through. Before you said those things, before you shared that story, before you had that turn of phrase, before you used that one word, I didn't get it, but now I get it. That helps heal me. That tells us the point of lament. Lament helps us turn. Lament is not about staying stuck in our feelings. That's called despair. That's called depression. Part of the redemption of eternity. Eternity. No end of days. No more clocks. All of eternity. Part of the redemption of eternity is that every tear will be wiped away. Lament is about turning. It's about understanding our emotions, not being controlled by them. Because our feelings can be very irrational or subjective. The goal of lament is not to idolize your emotions. That's not the point of comfort. Lament is about moving you to wisdom. What is the way of love in this situation? See, this is where worldly lament goes wrong. Worldly lament says, yeah, you've been wrong, lashed out, payback, get revenge. You've been hurt, strike back. Kingdom lament is, God, thank you for knowing how I feel. Now, what is the best way to move forward? This is what Jesus was doing. He was processing. He was iterating. And all the while, he was crying out, but Father, is this the way forward? Show me the way forward. Don't let me be stuck in my puddle of tears and the muck of my emotions. I want your way and not mine. Help me to overcome, Father. And that's where lament takes us to overcome. As Jesus was processing, God showed him the problem. Verse 41, part C, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, in our inner man, we want to do God's will. We want to do good. We want to do the right thing. But we don't realize the pain that we have to go through in order to do that right thing. We all have a cross to bear. We all have a hill to die on. This is called discipleship. This is called kingdom living. Jesus said, if any man comes after me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. When John and I meet on, on Fridays, there's so many things that we talk about, from personal to ministry to just funny stuff. You know, but of late, of course, they're focused on their mission, their next step in going to Copenhagen. And I, as I was working through this message, I began thinking, you know, part of our time on Fridays is just to sit in the garden together and to just emote, particularly for John. Like, what am I doing? Why am I going to Copenhagen? This doesn't make sense. Do I really want to go through it? Do I really want to pay the cost? But God, I didn't expect my marriage to go this way. Lord, let my spouse pass from me. I didn't expect my job to go this way. Lord, let my boss pass from me. I didn't expect my health to go this way. Lord, let my condition pass from me. I can't drink this cup. 
I'm sweating blood. Now, why do we have a cross to carry? Why does God say as disciples we have to pick up the cross? Is it because he wants to inflict pain on us? Is it because he said, oh, you know what, my son did that and you need to experience the same kind of pain? Make us a little more tough? No, the purpose of the cross is so that we can experience the other side of the cross. So we can experience that miracle-working resurrection power. I can actually love that person that frustrates me. I can actually pray for my enemy. Not that they would go bankrupt, but that they would be blessed. I can actually praise God in every situation, even though I've just lost my job. That's resurrection power. That's also called the grace of God. That is the cross. On this side, we die. On the other side, we experience life. On this side, God breaks the power of the flesh. And on the other side, we experience the life of the Spirit. God wants us to partake in the same joy that God set before Jesus when he went to the cross. I just quoted scripture there. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. He wants us to have that same joy so that we can experience the same power Jesus experienced when he rose from the dead. That's called victory. Forgiving someone who hurts you, that's called victory. Letting go of hurts that have beset you for years, maybe even decades, and finally saying, I let go. That's victory. Blessing someone who cursed you, being able to love again after being betrayed, that's called overcoming. Overcoming is the end game of lamenting. You know, as we seek to do God's will, <clears throat> I want to point out something from, again, Luke's account that's not given to us in Matthew. You can write it down if you're taking notes. In Luke chapter 22, verse 43, when we lament and we're in our Garden of Gethsemane, God sends supernatural help. The scripture says there, as Jesus was praying, an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. There are a few times in my life where I have not seen angels, but I have definitely felt supernatural help. Something came, and you go, what just happened? That's beyond therapy. That's beyond my own self-talk. That's beyond advice that someone's given me. That's beyond even me praying. Something just shifted. Lamenting is not about lifting up ourselves by our own bootstraps and carrying on. That's, that's self-help. Let's not confuse that with the gospel. The gospel says that the Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. Psalm 146 says God raises up those who are bowed down. As in supernaturally, he gives us grace to do his will. Not my will, Father, but thy will be done. But before we can get there, we have to lament. We have to process. We have to iterate. We have to disembowel ourselves and say, I can't do this, God. And then in that moment of just utter gut honesty, the Spirit of God comes to fill our sails so that we can carry on. It's incredible. That brings us to the final aspect of lamenting, which is committal. Father, you've comforted me. You've sat with me. You've been with me in my mourning. But what is your will? What is the way of wisdom? As hard as it was for Jesus to think about dying, it may have been harder for the Father to tell Jesus, you still have to go through this. 
I can't imagine telling my three daughters or my son if they were to come to me three times and say, Dad, I can't do this. Is there any other way? It's too hard for me. And then to have to say to them, I'm sorry, honey. There's no other way. You have to die. I can't take this cup away. That would kill me a thousand times over. But if it kills me a thousand times over, then certainly it's killed God a million times over to say that to Jesus. We like to hear yes from God. Lord, will you bless my family? Yes. Will you help me be more wise? Yes. Will you get me ahead in my career? Yes. Lord, will you let me bypass the cross? No. Please, Lord. No. Please, please. For God to have to say no in the ear of his son, that's a hard thing to do. But that's the way of love. This is what Christianity is about. This is what the kingdom is about. In the end, the reason we die is for love. In the end, we lament so we can find our way back to love. In the end, lament is so that we can love like God. That's why Jesus prayed the prayer, not my will, but thy will be done. In the midst of this unspeakable pain, Jesus is still teaching us. He's still teaching us something about love, the unconditional, unfathomable love of God, even while he's sweating blood, even while his best friends are asleep. It's just crazy, but it's powerful. And as we go into Easter, these are the thoughts that should fill our hearts. And I hope that I've planted a seed this morning and help you to understand something about lament and how we need this in our lives as one of our weapons, one of the ways for us to overcome, one of the ways for us to get past the obstacles that keep blocking us, for us to get clarity so that we can say, okay, this is what it is. Now I understand it. I can name it. Now Jesus help me to overcome and move beyond it. But we don't get there if we don't lament. We don't get there if we just paper over it. We don't get there if we just say, oh, praise the Lord, in the name of Jesus, be gone. Now, there is nothing wrong with that. I just went to the red carpet. They prayed for me in Jesus' name, and I felt instant release in my lungs. Like, I am breathing. Like, wow, really, Lord? This is happening? I am not in any way trying to diminish the name of Jesus. What I'm saying is here, the way that God created us as human beings, there's a whole vast activity in our insides that requires lamenting. And if we take that out of our culture and not look at biblical culture, we undermine ourselves. That's why this is a key to maturity. This is why it is a key to kingdom living. Lamenting prayer is what saved Jesus so he could save us. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Lamenting is that channel of God's grace. It's how we experience him. It is the salve of heaven. How we overcome our pain. How we grow as followers of Jesus. Father, we just look to you right now. Even as you were face down, working through just the prospect of going to the cross, you are teaching us by your perseverance and you are teaching us by your gut honesty, Lord. I pray for every person that's here this morning. Those who are going through a difficult time or have been going through 
a troubled valley, that they would come to the place of lament, that they would go to their Garden of Eden, Garden of Gethsemane, that they would pour out their soul like Jesus did. And as they do, you would bless them, God, with your comfort and insight so that they can rise up from the dust to do what you have called them to do. Let your peace, Jesus, be upon us, a supernatural peace. Let your grace, that supernatural grace, rest upon your people, God, strongly in this hour. We give you thanks now in your precious son's name. Amen.